Is Easter Sunday awkward for anybody but me? I mean, on a, and I don't mean that as rhetorical or just... Easter Sunday is kind of awkward. We worry about a lot of stuff on Easter. Y'all worry about stuff on Easter Sunday? Did you worry about what you're going to wear? Some of you freaked out this week, didn't you? Because you didn't have something new. And you're thinking, man, I can't wear the same thing I wore last year. Everybody's going to know. I may be wearing the same thing I wore last year. I don't have any idea. I got up this morning and I was going to wear a pair of khaki pants and a white shirt and a tie that had some blue and green and some springy colors in it. And then I got to thinking, I'm going to be sitting here and standing up and sitting down and standing up for two services. And by the time I get up to preach for the second service, my pants are going to be all wrinkled. And I'm going to have to hide right here the whole time. And so I went with the black pants that you can't tell if they're wrinkled or not. Maybe on the front row, I don't know, but, but you can't tell. And so I was worried about what I was going to wear, and some of you did. You went out and you're wearing something brand new. Or, fellas, you shook that old suit out, you know, that you only wear for weddings and funerals. And you put that thing on this morning because it's Easter Sunday. We've got to worry about what we wear. Some of you got up and you were worried about, are, you, are we going to be able to get the kids to act right? And there are people that are here that are not here right now because they couldn't get their kids to act right yet. <laughs> and you have tried everything. You've threatened them within an inch of their lives. Meaning, I'm going to take away the iPad for a month. Okay, that's what that means. And then you offered them rewards. Listen, we'll get you something after the service is over. Just go and act right so we can appear to be the perfect little Christian family that we want to appear to be like. Maybe you struggle with that. Maybe it wasn't kids, but you worried about how you were supposed to act on Easter. I mean, you know, maybe I haven't been to church in a while. I don't know if I'm supposed to act. What am I supposed to do? What if I walk in there and everybody stares at me and whatever. How am I supposed to act? You know, I worried about it this morning. Am I supposed to put on a show? I mean, you know, it's Easter Sunday. People come to look at the pastor, you know, my bow tie and my black pants, you know, my wrinkles. You know, that's, we worry about a lot of things. I worried about whether we really needed two services or not. Be honest with you. It's spring break. This is stuff pastors worry about. And then, you know what the forecast was early in the week? Rain and cold. Spring break, rain, cold on Easter Sunday. That doesn't work. Not for preachers. We worry about a lot of stuff, don't we? A lot of external things kind of get us distracted on Easter. At least I know I'm that way. If you haven't noticed, we kind of keep things pretty simple here at Elm Grove. Maybe you've been around a while. Maybe it's your first Sunday. Maybe you're a returning guest or whatever. We just kind of keep things pretty simple. Our service this morning is about the same as what it will be next week. That doesn't mean that we don't think Easter is special and important. That's not our point. But it's just kind of who we are. And we want to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus every Sunday, not just once a year. We want to celebrate every Sunday. And so that's our focus each Sunday. We're going to simply worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords, the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So anyway, this morning, I don't want the externals that we are all worried about. I don't want those to distract us this morning uh, or to be uncomfortable today. I, I do, however, want God to disturb us and to make us uncomfortable on the inside. I don't want us just to go through the motions of another Easter Sunday or to feel like we have to put on a show or fake it or whatever. Because I believe you and I are here for a reason. This morning at 9.30, we are here for a reason, and that is to hear from God the same simple message of Easter that you hear every single year if you go to church on Easter Sunday. And our point this morning, of course, is not to impress each other with our new clothes and pastel colors, but to learn once again that simple message of Jesus and the power of His death and His resurrection.
Now, before we get to the scripture, I, I want to just kind of give you some starting points to let you know here's where I'm starting from. Some of you will be very familiar with this. For some, I just I w- want you to know where we're at. We believe at Elm Grove, we're starting from the point, uh, the position that there is a God, that he is there. We're starting from the position that his word is true. We're starting from the position that Jesus really did live and die and rise again. We believe those things are true. We don't believe that they are nice things that make us feel good. We don't believe them and therefore we make them true. We believe them because they are true. And we also believe that the depth of our belief doesn't alter the truth of God's word. So you might believe it a lot, you might believe it a little, but it doesn't change the fact that it's true. So that's where we're starting from this morning. That Jesus matters, that God's word matters, that Jesus really did live, he really did die, and he really didn't stay dead. That he was raised again to give eternal lives. I want you to look at the scripture this morning. We kind of, that's where we're starting from, just so everybody is clear. In Luke chapter 23, that's where we're going to be this morning. Luke chapter 23, simple message today really, focused on just one part of the crucifixion and the resurrection story. Look, at, look with me in Luke chapter 23, beginning in verse 32. Luke 23, 32. We kind of pick it up in the story here where Jesus has already uh, been tried uh, in in the mock trial. He's been found guilty of something they made up on him. And so now he's been handed over to be crucified. And here's where we pick it up in verse 32 of Luke 23. Two others, criminals, were also led away with him to be executed. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they don't know what they are doing. And they divided his clothes and cast lots. The people stood watching, and even the leaders kept scoffing. He saved others. Let him save himself if this is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him. They came offering him sour wine and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. An inscription was above him, This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals hanging there began to yell insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other answered, rebuking him, Don't you even fear God? Since you are undergoing the same punishment, we are punished justly because we're getting, we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, I assure you, today what? You will be with me in paradise. One thief mocks and ridicules Jesus for not saving himself and saving them. Picture the scene as they hang there in front of everyone. One thief yells at Jesus, you you think you're so great and so powerful, won't you do something about our situation? Won't you get me out of this? Why don't you deliver us if you're the king of the Jews? If you're so powerful, if you're sent by God, why don't you do something about where we are right now? You know what I find interesting? As that thief, as that thief mocks and yells at Jesus, as that thief ridicules him, do you notice what Jesus does to him? Anybody notice in the story? Anybody? He ignores him. Say a word to him. I find that interesting. Jesus is unaffected by those who don't believe in him. Now, just as a side note, I, I think that we are we are affected 
by those who don't believe in Jesus more than He is. Does that make sense? We get, we get angry. We get offended. You know what Jesus said? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Interesting little side note. Jesus just ignores him. And still yet, what did Jesus do as he hung on the cross? He died for that man who was ridiculing him. The other thief, of course, believes in Jesus. And at that moment receives eternal life. Both of them were in the same earthly circumstances. Both hanging on crosses. But have very different eternal outcomes this day. One remained focused on earthly things. While the other turned his focus to the kingdom of Jesus. One had everything but Jesus. And the other had nothing but Jesus. One wound up with nothing. The other wound up with everything. Each of these guys next to Jesus were forced to make a decision about him that day. And my hope and prayer this Easter is that each of us, whether you believe you've been walking with God for a long, long time, or you say, I don't really know, that each of us this morning will simply own our decision about Jesus and walk away living in light of who he is. At Elm Grove, we believe the Easter message is really, really simple. And I have said this a million times in the the 10 years that I've been here. So, to the point where most folks can, can repeat it, most folks remember it, and that's the whole point of me repeating it over and over. We believe the Easter message comes down to something very simple. It is Jesus plus nothing. Jesus plus nothing. That's the Easter message. That's what the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus teaches. That's what he taught his disciples. And later on, that's what the disciples became com- completely convinced of, and that's what they taught. For one thief hanging next to Jesus, it was going to be Jesus plus nothing. For the other, it was anything but Jesus. He rejects him. Really in a very forceful way. Some folks do the same in our society. Some do it in a more subtle way. Before we we see the one thief who is Jesus plus nothing, I, I I want to use the thief that rejected Jesus to kind of highlight the ways, I think, in our society that we reject the Lord, whether we know it or not. We, we do it even in subtle ways. So I've got some things we're going to look at in, in, to make sure that, that Jesus plus nothing stands out, if you will. We're going to look at what Jesus plus nothing is not. Three things. First one. Jesus plus nothing is not what would be called legalism. Just write down that word. Legalism. Jesus plus nothing is not legalism. We don't know a whole lot about this first thief. Uh, Maybe he grew up as a good Jewish boy trying to follow the rules, but you realize that following the rules doesn't work? You ever tried real hard to follow the rules? (laughs) You're laughing. I hear you. That's exactly exactly the response. I mean, tried real hard. You came on Sunday morning, and man, you got fired up. Okay, God, this week's going to be different. And then Monday happened again. Oh, how does Monday happen to me every single week? How does that happen? Monday happened and all the rule following I was going to do went out the window because you know what? That person, they made me mad and they had it coming. And okay, I'll repent next week again at church and I'll try to do better the next time and I'll try to do better and I'll try to do better and try to do better. Guess what? Trying to do better doesn't work, does it? Because eventually you know what happens when you try to do better and you can't, you know what you do? You give up. You say, forget it. All these rules, is that, is that what this is about? Is that what church is about? Is that what God is about? Is just me following rules? You realize that rules and following the rules can't change your heart? 
And parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, teachers, whomever, if you've got influence over the lives of children, you know this, don't you? That rules can't change their hearts. But what do we typically aim for in our religion and in our homes? We aim for behavior modification rather than heart transformation. And I am firmly convinced that the reason that so many young people grow up in church and eventually say, I want nothing to do with the church, or I could take it or leave it, it really doesn't make that much difference to me, is because they were forced to follow rules and were never introduced to Jesus Christ. I believe the ones who stick, not just in church, but with their faith, have a true encounter with Jesus Christ. And it's not just a bunch of imposed rules on them without the relationship. I've heard it said that rules without relationship leads to what? Do you know? Rebellion. It's not legalism that we're going for. Just do the right thing. I think this is the most subtle way that we reject Jesus is by adding our rules to our relationship with Jesus. Do you realize that even the law, the commandments of God in the Old Testament, as we've been going through our series on Sunday mornings, even the law was given after the relationship was established. The the law, the rules were given to know how do we operate now with God in our lives? How should we live? That's why the law was given, not so that we could earn God's love. The most subtle way I think that people reject Jesus is through religion. They're trying to follow the religious rules. Like I mentioned earlier, the Easter clothes. Probably some of you freaked out this morning because your kid wasn't going to be dressed up in the right kind of Easter clothes. Well, you got to wear your Easter best on Sunday morning, Easter Sunday. None of that, however, comes from Jesus. His law is simply to love God with all that you are and to love people selflessly, to walk in the Holy Spirit and to be holy as He is holy and just love Him back the way that He has loved you. We don't need Jesus plus anything. We certainly don't need Jesus plus a bunch of religious rules to make us feel like finally we're in. Well, if you believe in Jesus plus you do all these things, then you're okay. It's Jesus plus nothing, not Jesus plus legalism. Secondly, Jesus plus nothing is not what we might call pluralism. Let's write that word down. It's a fancy kind of, kind of word. I want to explain it to you a little bit. In the first century, when, the, when these guys were, were living and being hung on the crosses there that day, in the first century, during the, the, in the Roman culture, they worshipped a variety, a whole pantheon of gods and goddesses. Their, their religion was very intense, but it was varied. Really varied. Lots of multitude really of gods and goddesses. The Romans were really okay with any religion so far as you would bend to their rules as well. So everything kind of meshed together. We think maybe in our world today that it's anti-Christian and it's anti-God and whatever. Try living back in the Roman Empire where they literally would crucify you if you didn't line up with their beliefs. And so we have this idea of pluralism. That everything kind of can mesh together. I think this is one of the favorites in our world today. This is, this is really kind of the applauded way to reject Jesus. So you can follow Jesus so long as you're on board with these other things as well. Have you seen those bumper stickers? And if you have one of these, and I, 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 maybe I'm going to offend you this morning, and I hope that I'm not the one offending you, but God's word is offending, where it says coexist, and it's got all the different religious symbols. You ever seen one of those you pull up behind somebody? And you're trying to figure out, now what does that symbol mean? What religion is, that's what I do anyway. What religion is that? And that what the idea is, is that we all sort of believe the same things anyway. 
And we're all going to the same place, so what difference does it make? We have a pluralistic society. This is viewing Jesus as just one of many paths to God or eternity. Just be sincere, believe what you believe really strongly, and you'll get there. And in fact, it's rude and it's intolerant to say that any one way is the only way. What I do find interesting, however, is that those who would say that it's rude and intolerant to say that there's only one way are saying that their way really is the only way. Follow that at all? The only way is to say there's every way. But that's saying there's only one way, regardless. Anyway, I think this view, this view that everything can get you to Jesus is just as bad as the thief who mocked Jesus. Because you know what Jesus said when his disciples said, how can we know how to get to where you're going? What did Jesus say in John chapter 14, verse 6? Anybody familiar with it? What did he say? I am what? The way, the truth, and the life. And then what does he say after that? Have you memorized that? I hope you have. No one comes to the Father except what? Through or by me. Jesus had exclusive claims, didn't he? We can't just say that Jesus was a good man, a good teacher, and he did some nice things, but you know, maybe a little bit misled. We're not sure if he said he was the only way. He very clearly expressed it. I am the only way. It's not pluralism. It's not just anything, any kind of sincere religious belief. It's exclusive. Thirdly, Jesus plus nothing... And this one really points more to our society, I think, than, than, than probably the other two. It's not Jesus. It's Jesus plus nothing is not what's called humanism. Now, this really is an outright rejection of Jesus. We see this a lot. And it's growing more and more, it seems. This really dominates our society. I think especially among those who consider themselves to be sort of advanced or educated or progressive or whatever, or modern. Uh, there's a focus on human freedom and progress. And we are the focus. We're in charge and let's make the world a better place and let's do some good things and and so on. This began really around a time known as the Enlightenment. That virtue can be created by human reason. That we don't need any religious institutions to tell us anything. That we have the truth inside ourselves. Kind of sees Jesus as just a man. You know, maybe a good man who did some nice things, but he was misled. There's a huge quest for meaning in humanism, trying to discover our origins, figure out where we came from, a belief that we are all tied together, all one, all bound for the same fate. And in humanism, there's a focus on doing good and living well, being happy, and here and now, and trying to make the world a better place, to let humans flourish. I think when you look at those things on the screen, legalism, pluralism, humanism, I'm Baptist, so they're all isms. You know that, right? Okay, You're trying to guess whether they're all going to be the same letter. They're all isms. I think all three of those things lead us down a path that is ultimately one of false security and destruction. Those three things, to me, constantly change. Legalism. The rules constantly change, don't they? It used to be, used to be, that you had to be at church every time the doors were open or you were going to hell, period. Going to hell. Parents ever tell you that? They probably didn't say it in those terms, but you knew, right? You knew you better be there. And now it's not so much, and you know, okay, well, you know, but there are still certain things you must do in order to win the favor of Jesus. Pluralism, constantly changing over and over and over. That really doesn't even make sense. If all the religions and all the philosophies say different things, how can they all be right? 
And humanism makes finite creatures the ultimate authority on truth, which I think is very dangerous. I think these things add up to a false sense of security and they lead to ultimate demise. Jesus plus nothing, however. When you look back at the story in Luke chapter 23, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. The man hanging on the cross next to Jesus said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say to him? Today you will be with me in paradise. Jesus plus nothing for that guy meant salvation for his soul. You realize it was a lifelong sinner? A lifelong sinner whose crimes had gotten him to the point where finally they said, we will no longer allow you to exist. You will die today because of your crimes. And there on the cross, he receives the grace of Jesus Christ. I don't know every story here. I look around and I see faces and I've talked with some of you, but I don't know every story. But I guarantee you, we've got some folks here today who feel like they're too far gone. You're going to walk out of here today and you're going to do those same sins again and you're going to feel like there is no way that God could love me, no way that God could forgive me. And if you look back at my past and look at all the stuff that I've done and the things that I've thought and the, and the people that I've hurt, there is no way on earth that God could ever forgive me. And you are like that thief hanging on the cross, paying for the crimes that you know you deserve to pay for. I wonder this morning, would you simply say, Lord Jesus, I have nothing to offer you. I'm paying for what I've done. And I need your forgiveness. This man hanging on the cross still had breath in his lungs. And as long as there's breath in your lungs, the grace of God is available to restore you and make you new. I think this salvation experience on the cross was just more proof that salvation is by grace alone. You realize this guy didn't get to come down off the cross. He still died. So guess what he couldn't do? He couldn't go to church on Sunday. He couldn't do all the good things. He couldn't help people. He couldn't make up for his own sin. What did he have to do? Trust Jesus plus what? Nothing. That was it. Brought him salvation. I, I think we also see he was really, he truly was made new. Look at verse 40. The other, this other thief answered, rebuking him, saying, Don't you even fear God, since you're undergoing the same punishment? We're punished justly, because we're getting back what we deserve for the things we did, but this man has done nothing wrong. I think this is evidence of a heart that's been changed. He sees Jesus in a different light. He sees him totally different. He sees him now as the Savior. He sees him as the perfect Messiah of God, the Son of God. At first, he was mocking Jesus like all the rest, but that mockery and that rebellion became love and affection for the Savior, and his identity has changed forever right there on the cross, even though his circumstances weren't going to change. I think in Christianity, a lot of times we buy the lie that if I believe in Jesus, that everything's going to be different. Everything in my life is going to be perfect, and it's all going to be great. And if you just come to Jesus, then he's going to deliver you from all this trouble that you have, and everything's going to be great. This man came to Jesus while hanging on the cross next to Jesus. You know what happened to him that day? He died. He didn't get to come down off the cross as Jesus says, Hey man, you get a second chance at all this stuff. His circumstances didn't change, but his heart changed and his eternity changed and he was made new. 
And he was given hope beyond death. Today you will be with me. Jesus said, I assure you, you'll be with me in paradise. His life wasn't over, not when he knew Jesus. He knew that Jesus would live on, that the resurrection was coming, and that one day he would be with Jesus for all eternity. Each thief made a choice that day. And I think it's apparent upon us that we do the same. In life, what will it be for you? Will it be Jesus plus nothing or or something else? Truth is, each of us practice every day. We live out every day what we truly believe. And if you are bound up by worry, if you are bound up by fear, if you're bound up by all these things, let me encourage you to trust Jesus plus nothing. Not what you can control, not what you can do, not your ability, not your intelligence, not your talent, not anything. Jesus plus nothing in my life. No matter what I face, I'm trusting Jesus plus nothing. In death, what will it be for you? Death is certain, isn't it? Nobody gets out of life alive. Nobody. One out of every one will die. The odds are not in your favor, if you know what I mean. Or maybe they are in your favor. I don't know. Each of us will come to this point. In death, what will it be for you? We all believe in something. I've done 30 funerals since I've been here at Elm Grove. 30. And every, every family that I talk to, everyone that I go through that process with, they all believe in something regarding death. What happens at death? What, what happens after death? And so on. Everybody believes in something. If you're counting on legalism, so that in death, you know what? Yeah, that, that will be what, what gets me where I want to go. How will you ever know if you're good enough? If pluralism is your way of life, then how can all the religions and philosophies say the same thing and still all be correct? Or say different things, rather, and all be correct. If it's humanism, why do we live as if life matters if it's all over when death happens? In death, what will it be for you? The Bible tells us no one comes to the Father except through Jesus. And then finally, in eternity, what will it be for you? If it's legalism... I'm going to earn my way to heaven. Boy, surely, you know, good people, boy, they go to heaven. I hear that a lot, by the way. I know God has a place for that person in heaven. They've done so many good things. What do you do with John 3.16 if your belief is that you must do something really good to earn your way into heaven? You know what John 3.16 says? For whosoever what? It's not a trick question. It's really John 3.16. That's what I... Who's... Even if you've never been in church in your life, you've probably heard that one. Whosoever what? Believes. Does it say whosoever goes out and does a bunch of good things and then tries to add all that up and come back to Jesus and say, is this good enough? No, whosoever believes will have eternal life. Jesus plus nothing. If it's pluralism, if you're just trying to be really sincere and you say, "Ah, you know, whatever path you choose, it's going to get you there. Which one of those is lying to you? And if it's humanism, if you're just going to live your life as if, oh, okay, I'm in charge and I'll do what I want, then what if this isn't all that there is? What if there really is something beyond the grave? I want to encourage you this week and this Easter 
to let it be Jesus plus nothing. To say, all my hope is in Jesus. All of my hope. It's not in going to church and being a good person. It's not in being sincere in what I believe. It's not in trying to make the world a better place. But all my hope is in Jesus. I think it's time to make a choice to own our decision about Jesus, just like each thief did. To either choose to say it's Jesus plus nothing or to choose to reject Him altogether. Because if we choose anything but Jesus plus nothing, we're rejecting Him anyway. Jesus plus nothing. That's it. Let's decide and then live accordingly. Let's pray together.